You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Sports Radio 94 WIP. I am Elliot Shore Parks here with the main star of the show, as always, Kyle Newbeck. <laughs> Kyle, man, so watching that game, uh, what I like to do during games sometimes is if I'm watching and it seems like they're going to lose or it's feeling like it's trending that way, I'll look at uh, a betting a betting app and I'll see what the odds are. So the Sixers were down 13 in the third quarter. And I thought, all right, this could be an opportunity. It felt like they were going to win this game. They were only plus 190. So even though they were down a lot throughout that whole game, it just felt the whole time like they were going to come back. They were going to come back. I thought there was one clear turning point in the game. But overall, God, just a frustrating loss to what has been a really good winning streak. I think the uh, the books have gotten smarter with live yes. betting from what I can tell. Not that I don't bet on NBA games just because that mm-hmm. feels like a – Feels conflict of interest you, yeah. or yeah like a little weird um but it does seem like they've gotten better at not going crazy with the odds because they have figured out people love to make those bets and i'm sure they yeah. could make a ton of money on that but you know you have one one big and bad beat and that that goes well, wrong so i'll say this though even though you don't bet which i can respect uh respect the big j and you but i do think it's a great <laughs> it is a great way honestly i do it during nfl games or eagles games too not bet but just look because I feel like it always gives a really good indication of how optimistic, uh, how optimistic to be about the chance that they could come back. So when I saw plus one ninety. I really thought we were going to start this pod talking about sloppy start to the game, defensive effort was bad as usual at the beginning of games, which I know you want to get into. But I really thought they had a chance. And man, I have one clear culprit for the loss tonight. I'll be interested to see who you think it is. But for me, <laughs> there's one main reason they lost this game. Are you going to say Joel Embiid and just like no. be the take king over there? <laughs> no, yeah. So my main culprit was Embiid and trade him for Kuzma. You, no. you had no idea where I was going with that. But no, for me, it's it's Doc Rivers, man. Like this team has been playing well and he deserves credit for that. But games like today are where the talent is coming through. Embiid was a monster, at least offensively. Defensively, I thought he was pretty good too. As a whole, the defense struggled. Harden, I thought, was much better. His shooting from three wasn't great. But there were clear moments in this game where you want your experienced veteran coach to help you win it at the end. I thought when he didn't challenge the Embiid foul, that fourth foul, that was a really bad bad call. That was a moment where you want a veteran in there that knows what he's doing, challenge that call. The Wizards went on a run immediately after that. And then at the end of the game, they have, I think they were still down three. They had one of the worst possessions I've ever seen. Nobody wanted to shoot. And it just ends with Embiid driving into the lane. He has a turnover, but 
it is what it is. There's not much time left. So I just thought those two key moments where you where you really could have used a real a difference making head coach. Uh, that end game sequence where they had the I tweeted this out. I said there was a three point game with 37 seconds left. They used 17 seconds a clock for Joel to turn the ball over. Yeah, it was like, that's that's in every way that's just an inexcusable thing to have happen. And I this is not going to be a negative podcast overall. I don't think because no, I'm you know I'm not I'm not going to get worked up over you know they lost to the Wizards after losing eight straight. It's a place where historically their motivation just goes to die. Like they, they always yeah. just look like shit when they go to DC. It's a, a team nobody really cares about. That also isn't very good. And I thought it was very clear. And you did see this against the Knicks too on Christmas. So this has been somewhat of a recent trend that they kind of, they and I shouldn't say kind of, they really mailed it in on defense and on the glass for, I'd say at least the first two quarters, maybe the first two and a half quarters of mm-hmm. that game. And it seemed like they thought they could just turn it on. And, you know, Joel was cooking so, so well on offense that it's like, you know, who cares? Like eventually Joel is just going to power us to this win. And it's just one of those games to me, you know, I get that the late game and the execution stuff is what people focus in on. And there's good reason for that. Like, I don't think we should excuse Doc Rivers for the moments he had to impact this game. Some rotation choices that he made, like Montrezl Harrell, Scored a bunch of points, but was just an absolute disaster defensively yeah. in that game. Shouldn't let him go for that. Daniel House Jr. was also just like a train wreck in that game. He had mm-hmm. a play where he turned the ball over under the rim and then immediately fouled a three-point shooter. Yes. It's like, like a five-point swing or six-point swing, essentially. But to me, that game was lost in the first half where they got a little too big for their britches. They're like, uh, you know what? we're good enough that we can only play a quarter and a half, two quarters hard and we'll beat this team. And they almost did, but you know, I, I would hope coming out of this game, the lesson for them is take care of your business early. You've been doing that. You've been playing with fire a little bit too much recently. If you play like you did against, you know, say the Kings, for example, better team than this wizards team is. And they kicked their ass when they came to Philly. Yeah. You play like that where you win the game early and then you can coast into the, the final, you know, 24 minutes, 18 minutes, whatever it is, that's what a game should look like against a team that you're clearly better than. I actually thought Embiid came out with that kind of attitude, at least on offense. Early on, he was going into the paint. He was just seemed very assertive on offense. He had, I think, six of their six or eight of their first 10 points. So for me, I had down on my notes I took during the game, like he came ready to play and ready to put it away. The difference is, and you brought it up, the defense was really bad uh, to start the game. And really, they, they picked it up a little bit in the second half, but not a great defensive showing throughout. And they just missed their shots. I hate to be the, it was just one of those nights they right. missed their shots guy, but they did. They only shot, I think it ended up being 19% from three they got good looks yeah that's tough to do honestly yeah as an nba team (laughs) well and they get what's funny is they got um 27 free throws they're 27 to 31 so the majority of felt like their offense did come from the line like that kept them in the game but really joel kept them in the game harden was awesome and you mentioned how this should be a positive pod and it will be because i think the reason i feel frustrated about that loss is you know So far in this podcast, we've talked a lot about when you should believe, when you shouldn't believe, this window, that window. 
man, that Christmas Day game, the recent winning streak, Harden has looked so awesome. I've, I've like almost fully bought back into the point where we did our power rankings last time. And I still think Boston and Milwaukee are above the Sixers. But you look at how Harden's playing and how Embiid's playing. There might not be a better duo in, in the Eastern Conference right now. Like the, the Milwaukee and Boston rosters are probably better. But I think that duo is playing so well. So the reason this frustrates me is just because if they're going to play like that, and I know the playoffs are a far way away, little things from Doc are going to be the difference. If you're getting those players playing at that level, Doc then has to be the difference. So to see him just make little mistakes tonight, again, eight and one in their last nine games, not the end of the world, they lost the game. Just to me, frustrating that Doc was the reason they lost. Or one of them. So, so let's swing back to the positive for a second, right? Like I, yeah. you mentioned Harden. I think one thing that I think has been awesome the last two games specifically, that beginning of the fourth quarter stretch where, you know, Joel's on the bench and historically that's just been, we need to just survive here. And in a lot of cases they're giving back points, they're squandering leads, whatever. I think Harden has been awesome in those minutes. The last couple, like certainly against the Knicks on Christmas, he was the leader of that whole comeback and or mm -hmm. helped put them back over the top in that game. Tonight, I thought, you know, did it in a very different way where, you know, against the Knicks, it was more jump shooting and he was setting up George Niang for threes. He got to the basket a bunch early in that fourth He's been really good at that recently. Really against good. the Wizards. And, you know, that's not something we've seen him do consistently really in a couple of years. Like, you go back to maybe his first year in Brooklyn before he got hurt. There was some of that. But even then... He was a little bit out of shape when he got there and he's working his way there and he was still doing more of the, I'm the playmaker setting up Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, the rest yeah. of those guys. So to see him go into that mode where it's like, all right, I'm just going to put my shoulder into somebody, move them off their spot and I'm going to score through them or I'm going to hit a Euro step. I'm going around the guy in transition and seeing him score, you know, like six, eight, 10 points in a pretty short period of time. That to me is probably more important than the result of this game, the result of the Christmas game. Like if he can do that on any sort of regular basis and he's able to do that, especially in those minutes where Joel is sitting, we've seen what he can do for Joel. Like you put them in actions together. The qual the average quality of shot that Joel is getting right now is unbelievable. Like yeah. the fact that they can come out of a timeout, like you want to talk about uh, Doc Rivers stuff. That ATO they had where they had a dribble handoff between Harden and Embiid through a lob to Embiid where nobody's within like five feet of him for an open dunk. He never got those sort of looks ever. Like everything is Joel creates it or he's not getting a shot. So the chemistry is there. Harden as a playmaker and setup guy for Embiid is there. If he can settle into this groove and be this guy where he's a more of a lead scoring threat with the bench groups, that just totally changes the ceiling of this team. Well, and I think what's been so exciting about Harden for me, because you mentioned how in Brooklyn he got into the mentality of, I'll set up KD, I'll set up Kyrie. And I thought when he came here, that's why I jokingly called him Ben with a beard last year, because it felt like <laughs> he was more willing to shoot. Trust me, he was more willing to shoot than Ben, obviously. But what frustrated me about Harden last year wasn't only that he wasn't a great scorer, but that he just seemed... I mean, checked out's not the right word. He didn't seem as aggressive to the basket or as aggressive wanting to score as I was hoped as I hoped he was going to be. And I think he has been that recently. But not only has he been that, he's been unbelievable playmaking. You're talking about how he's setting up Embiid. He's been awesome overall. I looked up during their eight-game winning streak. He's got 
102 assists to like 20 turnovers. He's shooting 40% from three on over seven attempts a game. That's exactly who you were hoping you would get. The exact guy. And I think sometimes we uh, conflate, if that's the, the right phrase I'm looking for, the right word, we conflate him not being able to get to the basket with him not wanting to get to the basket. And so I think it sometimes can be a, a little bit of both. And I just have seen a far more, while also playmaking, a far more aggressive mentality of, to your point, you know, six, eight, ten points in a quick spurt, taking over when Joel's not there. That, I think, is the most encouraging thing to me is that his mentality just seems to be back into, okay, I can score when I need to. Maybe it's confidence because he's playing better. Yeah, and, like, I'm okay with stars forcing the issue, right? Like, yeah. you don't want to see them take terrible shots over and over again or turn the ball over because they're trying to do too much. And we saw some of that from both James and Joel late in that Wizards game. But, like, ultimately, if somebody is going to do that, you want it to be Joel Embiid and James Harden and, to a lesser extent, Tyrese Maxey when he's back in the lineup. Like, mm -hmm. those are the guys you're going to live and die with. And, you know, the, the side effect of James attacking the basket is that that also opens up more lanes for him to pass through. Like, right? Like, when the defense collapses, he's not having to make crazy over-the-top passes or thread it through guys' legs or whatever – He's throwing easy drop-offs to Joel Embiid. He's throwing a quick pass to the corner to a guy. And those are ones he'll hit guys they don't even have to think. It's hitting them in mm -hmm. the hands, right in their shooting pocket. They're going up, and that's an easy three. So, you know, I think that also makes him a better playmaker when he's attacking like that. So the fact that he's getting closer to this idealized version of Harden is a big deal for this team. Now, obviously, has to do it in – Big time situations against big time teams. They haven't exactly played a murderer's row of teams recently. You know, the Clippers win we haven't talked about yet was yeah. awesome. I think is if it's not the win of the year, it's right there with them beating Milwaukee after Tyrese goes down to halftime. And, you know, James missed that game entirely. So that was a, a big win for them. But I, there's been a lot to like with James recently. So, of course, the uh, the report uh, yeah. on Christmas is that he might go back to Houston after the I mean, We might as well just get, get into that now. I mean, I, I'll, say, I'll say this about the report. And I don't know if this is – I'd be curious if you do this as well. As soon as the report comes out, my first instinct is always who leaked it and why did they leak it, right? It's not even so much reacting to the news. It's why is this out there and who wanted this out there? So for those that – are living under a rock or, or haven't heard. There was a report that came out Christmas Day that uh, from ESPN that James Harden is seriously considering going back to the Houston Rockets this offseason when he can opt out of his deal and he can return to Houston. Now, my first takeaway, of course, was he's clearly been listening to the Clap Your Hands pod and heard me talk about how good that <laughs> Houston situation is. All the young guards, the cap space, the draft picks. So I'm happy he's a listener. But my other takeaway from this was Man, things are going so well, and you leak this. I think, to, to me, and I want you... Actually, give me your opinion on it first before I tell you what, what my takeaway was. What were your thoughts? I mean, I mean it's clearly a, a representation trying to make sure he's getting the full boat in the yeah. offseason, right? Like, you leak it to the most prominent NBA reporter on the planet on Christmas Day when it's the thing that's mm -hmm. like their day. It's going to be on all day, basketball, and... That lead, that's essentially the first piece of NBA news of the day that we hear on like the NBA signature day. Yeah. So that's, you're trying to get maximum leverage. I think I have a bunch of thoughts. I'll say this. I think it's like the way it was presented is 
you know, if James Harden doesn't win and not liking things in Philadelphia, he'll consider going back to Houston. It's like, to me, that it would almost be the opposite. Like you go to Houston if you do win here. And that's like, all right, I, I want a title. I yeah. sort of cemented my legacy. I'll go somewhere where I'm happy. I'm the man. I have all my roots there. I have a home there. I have you know, friends, whatever there. But to me, there's no chance he's going to Houston if the Sixers flame out, right? Like that would be the ultimate cement yourself as a career loser move that I think he um, can make. If they like, if James Harden loses in the first or second round with Joel Embiid, and he basically just says, I'm going to Houston to retire. Like he does the later stage version of what Bradley Beal is doing in Washington right now, where he took the bag and he's playing on a dog shit team and nobody cares if they win or lose. Like, He's a loser. If you do that, you are a loser. You don't have aspirations to be like, he has said all this stuff about, you know, all I care about is winning. I want to cement my legacy, all that. I know there's been features written about him where he's talking about comparisons to Dwayne Wade and like having to reach the number of titles that Wade has. I believe he has three, if I'm remembering correctly. You have absolutely no chance of even sniffing Dwayne Wade if you go back to Houston. And so, to, like, it's such a empty threat to me unless James Harden really does not give a shit about winning. And, like, I don't believe that's the case. I don't think he took a discount in Philly just so he could, after a year, go to Houston and never win again. Like, that just doesn't make If he was going to take the discount just so he could never win, he would have he just left and got his payday. So... I'll push back a little bit on that. I agree that right now the Houston Rockets do not have as good of a chance of winning as the Sixers. I think if you remove this version of James Harden and put them on the Rockets and those young guards develop, I, I like they're not winning a title. I agree with you on that. He's not winning a title. They're not the, coming close to winning a title. <laughs> I'm not disputing. But, but if you take Harden off the Sixers and put him on the Rockets, is the Sixers future that much brighter than the Rockets? Because you have Embiid, who's awesome now, but we all know he's kind of a ticking time bomb time bomb in a way. Maxi's awesome. I mean, you've Toby, but he's gonna be a free agent. I don't think there's a, a huge difference in the future if you remove Harden with how he's playing. But my my takeaway from it was do you think Harden actually wants to stay here? and the Sixers are not as into signing him as maybe he is into staying here. And this is his camp's version of saying, okay, you, you, may, you know, maybe you don't, you're not as into giving us the full max. Well, he'll go back here because they will give him the max. This is a destination. I'm guessing Houston has interest in bringing him back as well if this is coming out, like probably talking behind the scenes or whatever. Do you think this was a, a leverage ploy in the way of Harden saying, I will go there if you don't give me what, what I want in Philly? I mean, of course it is. Like, I think obviously... I don't think it's at a point where the Sixers are like really playing hardball with him or his representation or anything like that. But, but why would he leak it if they weren't playing hardball? Like you only well, put that I'm out saying there you can't you, you can't play hardball until it's actually time to sit down and like sign the contract or like discuss the terms, whatever. You can put out feelers and say, you know, we're gonna see where we're at at the end of the year. Like I, I think minimum. The Sixers want James Harden here this year and into the future. Like, I I don't think this is a situation where they're unhappy with having him on the team. But if he was hurt all the time or not the James Harden we've seen over the last week, week and a half or so, and he was closer to the guy they saw last year, then, yeah, I think they'd be they'd be stupid to just say, you know, we're going to give you the full max no matter what. Like, it's the right thing to do. 
to take more of the cautious approach. And obviously, I think they're empowered to do that a little bit more than the average team would be because they do have Daryl in that front office. They have a very long-term, close relationship. They can have tough conversations and they they can be honest with one another about Mm. where they're at and why. But of course, like James Harden, knowing that and seeing that is going to say, well, all right, like the people around him are going to put some pressure on them to say, if you're not willing to pony up, then I have other options. And, you know, I think Houston is just a good example. It might not be, there could be another team that ends up being like, all right, this is the real threat. Like, I don't, I honestly do not think he will go back to Houston next year, period. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think there's a possibility there could be a team and maybe I'm underrating Houston in the fact that they could move guys around and maybe sign two stars at once and do some stuff with the draft picks and and you can go back, make a win now team, whatever. But if you're just saying sign him and nothing else, like I just don't see that. And I don't see him doing that. Like I think he's realistic, realistic enough with himself to say, me going back to join a bunch of young guys is not going to win anything. And it's, you know, if he cares about what his legacy is and what he's going to be, how he's going to be judged in the eyes of, you know, the history books and his peers and everybody else, I don't think he goes back there. Yeah, but also if you look at the Sixers, now this is all with the presumption in this article that he's only going to leave if it flames out here. So you're talking about them, I don't think they lose in the first round. I guess, who knows, injuries, whatever. But chances are, if this season flames out, it'll be in the second round, especially with how they're playing right now. But if he loses in the second round here, that'll be two years in a row where he wouldn't have gotten out of the second round. I could see a world where he doesn't think to think to himself, all right, yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely have a great chance to win here in Philadelphia. So to your point, maybe there's another team he would go to. But if you're looking at all of his options, and one is stay in Philly, you know, I don't know how much he likes here. Maybe you can speak to that. But Houston, he's lived there his whole life. Presumably, he's very comfortable there. There's no other option where he feels there's a great chance to win. I can see the legacy is the wrong word because you're right. He won't win a title there. But go back to Houston. You know, Cement your place there as one of the best, if not the best player in franchise history, or at least on that short list. Make up with the fans. End your career there. I could see how that would be more appealing than attaching yourself to a Sixers team that, again, would have came up Sure, but to what you're saying about a good relationship with Daryl, I I think that's obvious from the outside looking in. You would know even more covering the team. I just don't get why he does it unless there's some type of friction where he feels like he needs to. He's playing the best basketball he's played with the Sixers, especially at the time of the report. He was coming off that awesome win versus the Clippers, that awesome game. He would seem to have all the leverage in the world. It does. It I don't know why he puts that out there unless he feels he needs to. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're going to find out in what is it seven months from now six and a half months from now he can't sign a deal now no matter what they have to do it at the end of the year well because he's got the player option for next year and so that ultimately comes up later okay they they do Um, have to wait no matter what we're gonna find out what like this is all this is the fun of covering the nba and by the fun i mean this is the part i hate the most where it's the part i love the most like that your reality tv exactly yeah for we can't talk about the basketball. It's like, well, what the, what is going on seven months from now? Or like even worse when guys are on like in Ben's case, for example, when he was under contract for like five more years. Yeah. And it's like, actually, I want out. It's like, bro, you your extension just started. You should have figured out this wasn't the best situation when you signed a, 
I don't know. That Pre-tip part drives me crazy money. about the yeah. NBA. It's uh, you're you are free at any time to take a one year maximum deal and and do it. Like I honestly, I respect. I think what people have missed about LeBron, this is like totally going off a tangent now. Like oh, Le- good. It's only LeBron like- is like the player empowerment guy. Like he's the one. Well, he went to Miami and he started this whole trend of everything. LeBron, other than that Miami run, has pretty much only signed one plus one deals where mm-hmm. he's telling you straight up, like, I will be here this year. I might he- I might be here next year. But you better do everything in your power to make this team as good as it can be because there's no guarantee I'm sticking around. And like I respect that a lot more than somebody taking a you know five year, $250 million contract, whatever some of these guys are taking. And then immediately when things get hard, they're like, nah, I want out. It's like you can't have everything. Well, <laughs> I, I see it. I agree with you. And I think they're. This is going to be me sounding like an old man again, like last pod. I think there is something a little annoying probably for fans of guys always moving teams, that type yes. of thing. Although I love the trades and I love the trade machine and the drama. I can see that aspect of it, of if you're not a 35 year old guy that loves reality TV and you're a kid or even just anybody that's a, you know, a fan of the team watching all these players leaves can be frustrating. My perspective of it before we get back to, to the Sixers is Covering the NFL, and I know they're different sports, but in the NFL, I never blame guys at all for getting as much money as they can. The careers are shorter and all those things. So part of me still looks at the Ben situation to use him as his example and go, someone's willing to give you five years, whatever, whatever his deal was, guaranteed millions, take that and figure it out later. To your point, I can see how it's not fair from Ben's side. And I think a, a trend and a kind of acceptance has been set up in the NBA of, we'll just sign a deal and then you can always leave if you want to later. I just think the players getting guaranteed money. I can understand them saying, yeah, someone's going to give me 250 million guaranteed. Yeah. I'm going to sign that line to make sure I know I have that money coming no matter what. Yeah. I just think there's some sort of middle ground between like, I want these guys to make as much money as they possibly can. Like I don't ever begrudge guys for taking the money, but like, I, I love the comparison people always make where it's like, well, if you were a talented engineer or programmer and you work for Google and then Apple offered you more money, would you go there? It's like, yeah, I would go there, but I wouldn't be able to leave because if I was a talented programmer at Google, have I have a non-compete for right. however many years or whatever it is. Like, I don't mind guys leaving at the end of their contracts and going wherever. Like, you are free to do whatever you want. But, you know, when you make commitments to people, I don't care if it's a sports team, your job, your friends, your family, you honor your commitments. Like, if you said, I'm, I'm here for five years, Unless something materially changes, like I, I get when guys are in bad situations, it's like, I, I think this is going to be a contender and then everything goes off the rails or there's some kind of behind the scenes thing, whatever. But when it's just like, I'm not winning or I don't like it here and it's just some lame excuse to go play for a super team, I I don't like that shit. Like that, I'll never like it. And that's, I, well, I can't get over that. Like I'm very pro players doing what they want. Like I follow uh english premier league like you do elliot and hey, there they basically are like they write their ticket it's like teams will just <laughs> buy them that's yeah they have a they have a release clause in their contract if a team pays 100 million pounds 150 million pounds whatever it is they can just go at any time so i'm fine with that system but if this is the system they are operating within it just drives me a little crazy that like even when guys are under contract it's like well 
is he going to leave three years from now? Who well, cares? There's three years until then. I think part of that might be to compare to EPL a little bit. And I've only been covering, like following it super closely for probably the last five years. Right. But I feel like in, in soccer, there's not as much pressure to win right away. Whereas in basketball, I think there's probably like 30 players. It depends who, on the team, I think. Depends on the team, but I feel like it's not as much attached to legacy. Whereas I think in the NBA, there's 30 guys who right now are under pressure to win a title this year. And if they don't do it this year, then next year they're under a ton more pressure. So I think that's why there's more movement. But one thing I did want to ask you since we're off on this topic, we were not recording the pod when James Harden, this whole thing went down. He took less money. Since we're talking about his contract, we're talking about why he did this. My question for you is, as someone that covered it, do you think the Sixers were willing to give him whatever he wanted or not? Because if they weren't, maybe this is him putting out there, all right, you didn't give me what I wanted before. I'm playing the best basketball I ever have. I'll go somewhere else. You think there's any residuals from that? Or was that contract negotiation pretty much here, James, write what you want. We really want you back. And that's how it went. I, it's probably somewhere in between. Like, I don't think it was. So the Jimmy Butler reporting like why he didn't come back has been there's like 800 different stories yeah. on that but there was a lot that was said then about were they willing to offer a full max were they not willing to offer it and like none of that stuff is really what mattered in the end i think it's sort of similar here and that i don't know that it was so much about they wouldn't offer him that as they probably knew coming off of that year and the injury and how he looked like he's not getting the the market was such that like he was not going to get the full max from anybody really because there just weren't teams out there that were both that had the space, but were also trying to compete that appealed to James Harden. Mm -hmm. And it also happened that if James took less money, he could facilitate being on a better team. And that, you know, naturally when guys win and they're on winning teams, like James still produced last year, he didn't produce at the level he normally does. Yeah. But if he just produced that exact stat line on a better team, you all, you always look better. Like it doesn't matter. You could put up if I put up twenty and ten on a let's say a thirty and fifty two team or twenty and ten on a fifty two and thirty team, I could be doing the exact same things. So or people are going to look at you differently. Yeah. Like Devin Devin Booker dealt with that for the longest time. He was a big time producer. And nobody took him seriously until, you know, they had a real team in Phoenix. And now all of a sudden he's like an all NBA, all star, perennial in every discussion type guy. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think I don't think there's any residual anger or anything on Harden's end. But I do think he is aware that any manager or any manager, any owner is going to try to squeeze you for whatever they can. So mm -hmm. that's he do has to go into free agency knowing that. Well, A, it has to kill him that he took less, and the result was P.J. Tucker, Daniel oh, Howard, and, <laughs> and Harold, who, by the way, I guess P.J. Tucker only has one working hand right now, so that's always awesome when you're 37 and one of your hands is dead. Not ideal for the premier free agent. Do you think he could have gotten more money than what he got? Not, I not mean, if he wanted to play for a bogus team, yeah. Okay. I, like That circles back to why this discussion started in the first place. Like. I don't think James Harden is going to go play for a team that doesn't have a chance to win. Not until, you know, if he gives it a few more tries, comes up short and, you know, just wants to go back to Houston for like his last couple of years or whatever. Okay, great. I don't, I think people will just say he gave it what he had, or it'll at least be closer to that. 
you leave now when you're playing with Joel Embiid and going to play with like I can't Jalen Green, Sengun, yeah, <laughs> Jabari Smith. I, I just I don't think people will respect that at all. And I do think one pe- one thing people should know or should know in general about Harden at this point, like he is a guy who cares about his reputation. Like he, mm-hmm. he is kind of like likes to be amongst the people. You don't dress like he does if you don't no. want to like capture people's attention in that way. And so like, I just, I don't think he's going to do that. I do think it's just purely pay me the money that I deserve or that I, I want or I'm going to look at other options. I think Houston, the Houston part of it is probably clouding what the actual message is. It's just an easy way for him to say, I want, or him or the people around him to say, I want the money. And like, I don't, I don't begrudge him for that. Any guy should go after whatever they think they're worth. And this, I mean, honestly, the way he's playing now, this might be his last chance at a really like, oh, yeah. huge deal. I mean, obviously, all these guys get huge deals. He probably will never play for less than $20 million, if not more, the rest of his career. So he will always get paid. But this will be his last chance at a huge deal. The last thing I'll say about the Harden report, and this annoys me too when it happens in the NFL, but so the report comes out. It's obviously from his camp. It's obviously coordinated to come out that day. And then he's asked about it. And it's like, oh, I don't know what that is. I didn't read it. It's like, come on. Oh, yeah. Like, come no, on, come man. On. You, you knew this was coming out. You knew it was going to happen Christmas morning. And I agree with you. It's coordinated, biggest day, his chance to send a message. He's playing awesome. But I just hate the whole, oh, I, I didn't see it. Like, yeah, come on, man. You you definitely knew this was coming out. Yeah, that part's bogus. Like, I, I'm not saying that he needs to go out there and say, oh, yeah, my representation. Right. The people right. that are close to me made sure they got out there. But you should at least be like, look, I'm happy here. I'm doing playing well with Joel. The free agency is going to come in July and decisions will be made then. And he did say a lot of that stuff, but you don't have to be like, oh, I have no idea. And right. All that. Yes. I, like, Agreed. Um, that was annoying, but the whole thing was honestly annoying, but the good news is he's playing so well. It doesn't matter. That report comes out <laughs> and he absolutely kills it against the Knicks. He was unbelievable. I mean, going into this Wizards game was honestly the belt, the best I felt about this team in a long time. Even when they were down 13 tonight, as we talked about, I was sitting there thinking, I think I'm bought back in. I think they've successfully roped me back in. And it's because James has been so good. So leaked rumors, Houston, whatever, all that he's earned the right. Like he is playing way better than he was before. Um, do you have anything, anything else on Harden before we move on? Or I uh, think we've sufficiently said how good. No, nah, I mean, look, uh, to end that discussion, I don't want, I'm not going to turn the rest of this season into will he or won't he leave? Like, that's just not a very interesting thing to me. If he just plays lights out the rest of the year and has a million options and decides to go elsewhere, that's great. The one thing that can't happen and that I would hope he will not do is if he starts looking for the exit, like he's not happy here for whatever reason and starts mailing it in or doing some of the stuff we saw, obviously end of the Houston tenure, but that was kind of, you know, I don't blame him as much in that scenario. Yeah. In the Brooklyn scenario where, you know, he forced his way there, they were one of the two teams you wanted to go to. And maybe you don't blame him for the Kyrie aspect of it. But again, like, you're yeah, there of your own yeah. volition, essentially. I don't want to see that. If if they fail because him and Joel are just not good enough, that's fine. You live with that every day. Like as long as James 
is giving well he's not giving defensive effort regardless but it's fine long, you know i don't care about <laughs> oh, as yeah. long as he's being james harden the way we know he can be what he decides to do in free agency is his own decision and it's on the sixers to set this up in a way that makes him feel best about this team to come back to that's the bottom line Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The only positive of it being all year, will he or won't he, is it's only an interesting and important question if he's playing well. If he's not, there's no interesting part about right. it. It's you're hoping he leaves. You know he's going to opt back in. So if we spend the next three months of this pod being, you know, talking about we, they really can't have him leave, then that means he's playing really well. Now, another reason it could be important if he leaves is because him and Joel are killing it. And Joel has been absolutely amazing. He was amazing again tonight. I saw an interesting uh, tweet from, uh, I think it was Bleacher Report, where they put together their all-star team predictions. And it's kind of a way to get into the discussion of where you think he's ranking right now. But it was actually a pretty compelling, more of a compelling question than I thought. So they were saying the starting five all-star teams that they had to guess right now would be on the East. Donovan Mitchell, Halliburton, Giannis, Tatum, Durant. Now, they have to start two guards, I believe, which is a dumb and antiquated rule that should definitely be changed. It should only, it should just be the five top votes vote getters that start. But regardless, if it comes down to Giannis Tatum, Durant or Embiid, the idea of Embiid not starting in the all-star game seems foolish to me. And I know we're a way out from it, but they're all playing so great. Embiid's playing so great. I kind of just want your take on where do you think Embiid ranks in the East hierarchy right now? And on a second level, you know, does he deserve to start over Giannis Tatum and Durant? Uh, so I would say this. I think right now I would start him over Giannis on that team. Like if you're yeah. just asking me to pick, because the Bucks have actually been on a pretty extended slump. Not an extended skid, but they've definitely, they've played poorly recently. And with Middleton not being healthy, which we mentioned when we were doing power rankings, that has had a material effect on the team. And Giannis has had some big stat lines in certain games, but when I've watched them, he has not been like, the Giannis that we've you know come to appreciate over the years as basketball watchers so if you were just saying who's playing the best right now I think Joel has clearly been better than him recently now whether that means he's more valuable than him or it's going to be better in the playoffs than him all that whatever but in terms of an all-star game like the guy leading the league and scoring and who essentially like carried this team almost by himself to a top five defense like that to me says that Joel deserves that. I, I don't think you can bump either of KD who's been unbelievable recently and personally beat the Bucks himself the other day. Speaking yeah, of and, and is KD I mean, <laughs> like, and he's right. KD. I mean, he has yeah. also like, don't want to watch Giannis in an all-star game. I also don't yeah. like that probably holds true with Joel a little bit too. But one thing I think you've seen that I think is really fascinating in uh, the all-star games Joel has played in when it gets down to like end game situations and he's available to play in those games. He, the one year he got uh, a COVID exposure from a bar oh, and right. didn't get to play. Yeah. But the one year he played in the game, 
they basically just completely deferred to him yeah. in crunch time. And I always find that such an interesting barometer of like respect level in the league, but also like what is our best chance to get a bucket and who's the guy who can get us a stop. And Joel being that guy on both ends for that team that year, maybe that says something about the other guys who are out there on the floor with him. It also says a lot about him, right? Like the, the respect level. Well, and just the respect he has from guys who are, these are all like the most decorated players in the NBA together. So I think that says a lot about, you know, the, the fear that he can inspire in other teams. So, you know, I think he deserves one of those five spots. I don't know if he'll make it because I think the problem he faces is that those three guys, Giannis, KD, and Jason Tatum, probably all more popular than him at this point. And that's like the fan vote is what decides most of that. Um, I also don't know if he's going to win either the player vote or the uh, the media vote there. So I I tend to agree with the prediction, but I, I personally think he should probably make it over Giannis. I'll say this. Embiid not starting in the All-Star game would be dumb. Just dumb. <laughs> it's just the only way to put it. It would be dumb. He is one of the most popular players in the league. Now, the problem is, to your point, you're going against Giannis, who is also one of the clearly most popular, well-known players in the league. You're going against Durant, who is, you know, wherever you want to put him, top whatever of all time, one of the best-known players of the last however long he's been in the league. So it's not like we're talking about bouncing him out against Al Horford, you know, one of those years. Like, Embiid is right there with those guys, I think. I would probably, and this is so funny because my friends call me an Embiid hater and they always joke how much I love Tatum. I might bump Tatum if I had to pick just because I think all-star games at the end of the day are about not only who's the best, but who do the fans want to see? And I get your point about the fan vote, but Embiid not starting, Embiid coming off a bench would be the an embarrassment for the NBA, especially <laughs> if, and I get the guard rule, Halliburton starting in the all-star game over Embiid is dumb. Like something, And he's having a great year, but yeah, it's, like, it's just, it's dumb. Well, it's like when uh, Harper didn't make the all-star game, I think the first year he signed with the Phillies or the second, he's like, I don't care what his batting average is. He's Bryce Harper. He's in the all-star game. He was on the posters for the all-star game. And he wasn't at it. Like some things just have to be common sense. So Embiid will be there, obviously. But I think, and we've talked about this actually with his potential trade demand, whatever. He's reached a point in the NBA where he's on the same level as Giannis Durant. And I Tatum is probably there, probably right there. But I, I think Embiid is actually in the hierarchy of power and stars and accomplishments to an extent, maybe ahead of Tatum. Well, so I, I think the interesting thing will be how do the players and the media vote on that? Mm-hmm. Because I think I think the media will definitely vote Giannis in. And For sure. I think the I think the players maybe not. I like I he's always an interesting one where, you know, he gets all the love from people who watch the games as fans, a lot of the media who like two way guys, whatever, but they can fall into the players are a lot of times are in that like bucket boy mentality. And he's just not that's that. My, that's my mentality. But so that's also him. why. So in Tatum's case, that's a guy that players love. Yeah. And yep. because his team is so good, he's also going to get a ton of media support. I think Duran is also an interesting case where I wonder how much the media dings him for the off season trade request. Like it's a stupid thing that like, Clearly, it's they're not suffering for it now. And honestly, <laughs> yeah. the fact that he put pressure on the organization 
probably a big part of why Steve Nash got fired and now their season has completely turned around. So in, in a weird way, he actually helped his team with a trade request. So, yeah. but there will be people who say, you know, I don't want to vote for that guy for all-star, all-NBA, MVP, whatever it is, simply because he put in a trade request. And so that's going to be an interesting fight with the media. And that'll be a big point of contention if anything happens there. Joel yeah. obviously has to deal with the uh, the games played stuff. It's always the fun. Even yeah. if he doesn't play, lose that many games to injury or illness, his games missed are always more significant than, uh, you know, Jokic or whoever else. Well, dude, let me say this. If Jokic wins a third straight MVP, I mean. <laughs> I would say I respect Jokic a lot, but if he wins a third straight MVP, that's just borderline criminal. Yeah, it's it's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so two questions off the Embiid thing before we move on, because I want to ask you about Maxi coming back. One would be just quickly, if you had to rank Durant, Giannis, Tatum, and Embiid in terms of NBA hierarchy, like power, skill, accomplishments, I think it's a very interesting foursome. Like, how would you rank them? I don't know if I would have a ranking, and I love to rank stuff, but I'm curious where. where Am I at. insane if I put Durant last at this? Yes, point? just because yeah, he's are insane. well, because yeah. he's he's older. I don't trust him as much defensively, and also that Boston series last year, they kicked his ass. Like those guys just fucking wiped him up and down. Yeah, the but floor. he's Kevin and Durant. I mean, he's he couldn't get he couldn't move. Like he couldn't get by those guys, and that's like that matters. That's that's a first round playoff series loss where Kevin Durant did like almost nothing. Well, to be fair, for what it's worth, he went up against a team that eventually won. Won the he East. did, but and I know it's his way. Fault that he was that low, but I'm just saying it wasn't like you know the Hawks, not not to touch a sore subject for Sixers fans, but it wasn't you know like he didn't lose to some fraud team. I think Durant has to be. I think it would probably go if you take into account current skill, Giannis, Durant, Embiid, Tatum. That's probably fair. I but I I honestly think I'd slide Durant to the bottom just because right. I you put Giannis won. I think Giannis is one just because he has the the better resume and all the other stuff. I I think Tatum and Bead is is an interesting. I I like Embiid as a two way guy more, but if you're mm -hmm. talking about like we see it in the late game stuff, Tatum is just a guy you can give the ball to, and he's just gonna shoot you out of a lot of bad stuff, and he can also handle the ball and do all that. You don't have to get him the ball at his spots. It's just like you cross half court, he has the ball and. He'll figure it out. And I like I agree with you in that sense. I know we disagree on a bunch of stuff. That <laughs> is just a better way to navigate crunch time than yeah. trying to play through a big guy. It's just so much harder to play through a big guy. So if you're talking about splitting hairs, I would probably lean Tatum there. But two-way body work, I like him beat better. Overall, overall, we agree. No Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, like you can't, you cannot, <laughs> he cannot start in the all-star game as good as he's been. You have to redo the rules to the best five guys and the most five. Well, that's been a glaring problem for yeah. years. Positionless basketball. Um, do you think, so Embiid, uh, pro football, uh, well, pro basketball reference does a thing where they rank the 10 guys they think are most likely to win the MVP. And maybe not two weeks ago, he wasn't in the top 10. Now he's number two. I haven't seen after tonight. He's only behind Jokic. Do you think he has a legit chance to win it, or do you think the fact that he's come so close a few times could potentially ding him in his chances of winning it? I think it's going to ultimately depend on the standings. Like So many guys are having great years that 
this is probably going to shake out to which one was able to, you know, lead their team to the top because separating Joel from Luca and Tatum and Giannis yeah. and like, they're just so many and Jokic, but Jokic, I feel like the, the Nuggets would have to win like 50 of their last 55 Dude. games or whatever for them to fucking for him to win the MVP, MVP man i i can't I mean, I look the dude puts up crazy anybody yeah he's so he puts good up crazy numbers he's so good for an irrelevant and, like, team that never accomplishes anything he's it whatever he's gone to more conference finals than joel has just he so has i mean it was in the bubble if i'm not mistaken it was but but look again i've been very critical of joel's uh you know postseason stuff i'm just saying Jokic is not worthy of being in NBA history as a three-time MVP. Well, that I agree with. You can't, you can't that make him, you, you you can't about make him a guy who's won three yeah. straight MVPs. That's just not acceptable. Yeah. He's but. irrelevant. He's irrelevant to me. In terms of like when you talk about the NBA, what really matters, no one's ever like, well, what about the Nuggets? Besides Actually, that one year. Who, I think the last guy, I might be mistaken, I think the last guy to win – three straight MVPs might be Larry Bird, which might be like a white privilege thing. I was going to say, Steve Nash got it twice in a row. He got he? twice, but he's never won. Okay. Uh, three consecutive MVPs, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Larry Bird. So Larry Bird wow. was the last guy to do it. Yeah. And Jokic is not in the category. Of Clear, clearly guys. in the category with those guys who are like three yes. all-time, all-time great. And all-time winners for what it's worth. Jokic, yeah. the Nuggets are never going to win anything. Well, Wilt was not really an all-time winner. He got a couple, but that was more uh, Bill Russell all-time winner right. for sure. Well, Wilt's and also kind of made up fiction. I mean, his numbers. Like, I, I hate when I see like a Sixer stat and it's like Embiid has scored the most 40, 10, whatever. And he, he's done it, you know, 15, 20 times. And it's like, well, Wilt's done it 75 times. It's like, <laughs> Then he didn't really do it. You know, like 75 times <laughs> an absurd number. It's like when he averaged, what, I don't know, 30 rebounds a season. It's like, that's not real at that point. But yeah. Wilt, Wilt is like the Paul Bunyan of the NBA. Yes, yes exactly. Um, so the last thing I had was my made-up Wizards trade, if you want to hear it quickly. Uh, uh, before sure. You get All right, so I was watching the game tonight, and I'll give credit to one of my friends who came up with this, but I think it's, it's a great trade uh, watching it. All right, so it would be. Kuzma, who, by the way, is on the trade block and looks like he'll probably get moved. So this isn't that crazy. Yeah. Kuzma, Porzingis, and Morris for Toby, Melton, Ferk, and Thibel. And not I a chance in hell. Nope. <laughs> you wouldn't do it or you don't think they would do it? I would not do it. I don't think the Sixers would do it either. All right. I, so here's why. Right. Porzingis is just a constant injury risk. So that's – he's the – you don't want him to be a central part of your team. Well, he'd be a backup. A backup to who? I mean, he could be your backup. Kuzma? No, I'm saying he could be a four or five. He could be a backup big man for you. He can stretch the floor. I think he does more things than B does in any backup they've ever had for what it's worth. It fits more in that way. I'm done with the like overinvestment on Embiid backups after the Horford. Like, <laughs> Horford thinking, was a yeah. good version of that where he did like everything. Whereas Porzingis does a few things and he does them well, but I just... No, thank you. Like I, I will say, I do like. I think Kyle Kuzma is a good trade candidate if they could scrounge together some type of offer for him. I think he's a good, like sixth, seventh man, probably where you bring him off the bench. He can score in bunches. He's probably a better defender than I think he's given credit for. And if you put him next to other guys who 
are good defenders. Like you play him some at the four mm-hmm. next to Joel. I think he would look pretty good. Like I, I would be in on him. And I also think Mate Morris, I don't think he's having a great season in Washington from what I know, but he's historically been a good, just backup, solid backup point guard that he could give you some spot yeah. minutes here and there, depending on, but yeah, the, the Porzingis aspect of that, I'd rather just send him to, you know, China or something. Yeah, Sacramento or something, <laughs> another worst place. But um, so the only reason I would be hesitant on it is he does have a $36 million player option. I don't know if he picks that up or not. I think he probably does, but I don't oh, know. Yeah, he's not getting another $36 million. Not, not even not over from... like, I guess it, you'd rather get it in one year. So you're right. He probably does pick yeah. that up. All right. Well, that's been the one. But Kuzma, if we if we we can figure out some fake Kuzma trades one day, and uh, I think it's tough to get him though, unless you're dealing Toby. And I mean, is he that much? What is Kuzma making? Um, Am I I have it right here? He's got it in front of you. Yeah, thirteen million this year, and then a thirteen million dollar player option next year. But he won't pick that up at this point. I think he's gonna opt out. No, but that means if he's only on thirteen million, you could get there with Nibel Cork. Well, I would try to get it like a couple small guys for him, like guys you don't want to play anyway. I don't want to move Melton for him because that feels like you're, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Right. If you can do some sort of, you know, extraneous parts for Kuzma deal, I think that'd be great. <laughs> that would be awesome. I don't see why the Wizards would do that. And yeah, like, I don't no know why they would. Wants them and he, and he, he, they know he's going to leave. So maybe they're like, whatever, we'll just take Thibault and Burke and – you probably yeah, like mistake, I think but... if you make Thibault the most important guy in that deal, I don't know that that's super appealing. But if the Wizards say, you know, he might be a long-term guy, he's a defensive first piece next to yeah. Bradley Beal, who might be on the worst contract in the league. By the way, like that, yeah. I don't wanted to be wanted to have that deal is not something might I be can a loser. envision. Like, <laughs> yeah, might be a loser, which is not good. But like, if you're stuck with Beal over the long term, you get somebody who's just like, I'm going to do all the dirty work since Bradley Beal certainly isn't. Then maybe they can convince themselves that uh, Matisse is that guy. I don't know how else you'd spruce that up, but yeah, and you'd also think- have to figure out how that gets under the luxury tax apron for the Sixers because that's with Thibault and Cork Moss, you're still that's like a four million dollar deficit, I think, off the top of my sure. head. I mean, the NBA cap is so complicated. People pretend like the NFL. It's not. It's not super complicated. It's just annoying. Some of the small, a lot of dumb rules. I mean, I think to end it on Kuzma, they're only getting Kuzma for that package if nobody else wants Kuzma. Like that is a. That's a. He's going to leave anyway. We'll take these parts and see what happens. I don't think if anybody makes a legit offer for Kuzma, that that would get it done. But um, all right. So the last thing I wanted to talk about. Tyrese is coming back. He's coming back on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, just what do you think? I mean, we've talked so much on this pod about will he start event, you know, obviously he's going to start in the long term, but do you move PJ out? Do you move Melton out? Does he start right away? I mean, you could probably justify not starting him right away. You could also tell PJ Tucker to take his one broke hand and sit on the bench for a month. I mean, oh, we haven't even talked about him. That's yeah, his dead hand. Him. Yeah. But so what we think of Max coming back and I guess PJ as well, you know, the injury portion of the pod. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they brought Tyrese off the bench immediately just as a way to ease him in minutes mm-hmm. wise. It has been a while since he's played, but, you know, they also have just sort of thrown guys back into the starting lineup if they are starters, like in Joel and James's case. So I could see it going either way. I, I don't think that they're going to go to 
D'Anthony over Tyrese as a starter. Like the the whole should Tyrese be a six man thing? Like I think that's more just fodder for conversation. Yeah, he's one of the three most important is, uh, people on the team. Yeah, like I don't think that happens, but I think there's real justification now, more than there ever has been, and we talked about it even before that to sit PJ and go three guards because like PJ right now. You can see him. He's just waving his hand. He's like constantly dealing with yeah. issues with that. He basically didn't play for, I want to say he checked out like three minutes into the second half against Washington. And that might've been the last we saw him the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. If he is like clearly not good to go to the point that you don't play him for most of a half, you should just try this three guard thing and see if it works. If it doesn't work, Great. You found that out over five games, end of December, beginning of January. There's no better time to test this. You have to know what you have in this type of lineup long before you get to the playoffs. Because if this ends up like DeAnthony can be that sort of a small forward with Harris playing power forward, and you can succeed in that type of look, that should be what you're developing for the playoffs. It's not PJ who PJ is going to be able to do what he's done his whole career. But to make this three-guard lineup work, you need reps. You need time together. You need all sorts of stuff that can't be faked. It can't be, you know, just yeah. on the fly. We throw this into the game. So I'm interested to see if Doc will uh, go to that early. And I don't know. I I'm, I don't have a lot of hope in Doc being that experimental, but they have done – some three guard stuff recently. So maybe he'll surprise me. Yeah. Doc doesn't strike me as a, let's try this new innovative lineup type of guy. Um, yeah. my, here's what I'd say about the maxi thing. I agree. He is going to start. He's too important. We just talked about the all-star game, how status matters in terms of starting Tyrese has enough status where he's only coming off the bench. If some odd reason he asked to come off the bench and he's not going to do that. So he will start. I agree with you. I would probably take PJ out. The idea of a three-guard lineup to me is all I've ever wanted. Like eight-year-old Elliot would be so happy to hear they're doing a three-guard lineup. But my only take, I guess I would say, off the Tyrese thing coming back is this. Harden and Embiid are playing so well together for the first time. Maybe not the first time, but for the first like prolonged time since Harden's got here, it really feels like they've worked it out. You talked about how he's getting so many easy shots. Harden has the right mentality. My concern And you have to experiment it now because to your point, you don't want to do it during the really tough stretch they have at the end of the season. You don't want to do it before the playoff. uh, You don't want to do it in the playoffs. So I know they have to do it. But my concern would be it's working so well right now. I don't know if Tyrese is frankly good enough right now to come in and change a bunch of stuff to to, uh, just because he's back. I'm making Tyrese work into what's going on as opposed to changing things for Tyrese, if, if that makes sense. Well, I think the good thing with Tyrese is that, and let's just assume that PJ is not leaving the lineup and they go with the the start of the season starting lineup. If you just put him in DeAnthony Melton's spot, he is not only going to not hurt the offense, he's actively going to help. Like he is just straight up a better shooter, better driver, better transition player than DeAnthony Melton is. Like point blank period. He will hit shots and take shots that DeAnthony either missed or didn't take in the first place. He's going to juice up your transition game. You're going to play faster, which has been a constant point of emphasis for them recently. The problems are going to come on the other end. And like they're not, as we talked about at the beginning of the pod, they've been playing like one half of defensive basketball anyway. So I don't think there's much of a case to be made that Tyrese is going to come back and like mess up the chemistry. I think he slots right in. He's fine if you leave him off the ball. 
move him around a little bit as a movement shooter, put him in the corner, put him on the wing, wherever you need to, to space the floor. Like, I think he's going to be just fine. It's more a matter of is his conditioning there? And can you keep the defensive level up that they've had for, you know, month and a half, obviously has trailed off a little these last few games, but you know, can he help with that? And can they make some of these quirky lineups work? Those are the big questions for me. Should Maxi defer to Harden or should Harden defer to Maxi? I mean, based on how he's playing right now, Maxi should defer to Harden. If yeah. he starts playing more like he did you know, last year or then in the Maxie. Houston game, for example, then other way around. And I do think the one thing that we didn't get to with uh, Harden with regards to free agency is that if they do start to sense that James is going to leave or that it's a real threat of him leaving at some point, they're going to have to give Tyrese more responsibility because they need, they in that instance would need to protect themselves against the the possibility of James leaving. Like they can't leave themselves in a scenario where James leaves and Tyrese has not had enough reps as like a lead playmaker type guy. Like he very clearly way far off of James as a playmaker, table setter for other guys. Great scorer, has some synergy with Joel, but is not the like all-encompassing offensive force that, yeah. that James is. And so they would have to sort of straddle two timelines at the same time, which I know you hate is something that you've yeah. railed against. <laughs> but uh, if they start to get a lean that you know James is looking for the exit door, those are the sort of things that you almost have to bake into the uh the day-to-day rotation now on the other hand they're trying to win a title so i don't know yeah, how i mean much i would you can do regardless i would just trade james at that point and honestly if you if you're at the point where you think he's gonna leave enough that you're altering how you run the team you're making tyrese have more responsibility i would just trade him at the deadline at that point now he's a tough guy to guy to trade against his will because he's very obviously gonna tank yeah. gonna be there and you're gonna have to pick where he goes but to your point, if you get the sense he's leaving or there's a real chance of it, Tyrese is not at a point where he's going to give you 102 assists over eight games. He's just not there. Or if he is, he's going to have you know 50 turnovers while he does it. I don't it. think he's ever going to be there, honestly. Yeah. Like, and that's no disrespect to Tyrese. I just That's not who he is. I mean, Harden's an all-time passer. So he's just he's not there. But yeah, I mean, that that's the interesting thing about Tyrese. And to kind of wrap it all up, this is the best I've felt about the team in a long time. I, I think I could say for you too, you, you feel really good about them right now. If they can work Tyrese in back, like flawlessly, if he can be the 40% three-point shooter he somehow has turned into, if he can be the guy that can get you buckets and spurts, that can run the floor, if they can add that guy into this team, then I think the next time we're doing a power rankings, there's a decent chance the Sixers are right there with the Bo- with uh, Boston and Milwaukee because as good as they're playing now, if you can add a talent like Tyrese in and make it work, and that's on Doc and, and Joel and Harden too. But if they can do that, man, the vibe of the pod and the vibe of the team is going to be much different than it was nine games ago. Yeah, and to your point, I think this is probably, with Tyrese coming back, it's probably the most excited I've been just to watch these games. I agree. Yeah. Since before the season when we were all like – look, this looks like a team that could win 55, 60 games. Like they've been on a roll. They lose one against Washington. It's, it's okay. The sky's not falling. Like it's, yeah. we can just say it's a loss. They're getting back a really good player. They're in a groove. Their best players are playing as their best players should. Like they're in a good spot right now. I, I agree. In terms of having just fun watching them, it's nice to, 
it's nice to allow, I can speak personally for me, but I'm sure other people feel this way. It's nice to allow myself to believe because they look so good. I think people put a guard up with this team and rightfully so they've, the Sixers have earned the right to, to have people be skeptical of them, but they're a fun team to watch right now. Harden's everything you hoped it would be and beads unbelievable. And it's great. So they have two games, uh, the next two games at Pelicans at Thunder. I don't know when we're going to record next. I would think definitely before the Thunder game on Sunday, but any thoughts on these upcoming games? The Pelicans are a great test. I'll get to watch Shea on uh, Sunday. Uh, well, it depends when the what the game is because the Eagles play. But I I'll make time to watch. The Thunder's on Saturday, actually, so you can spend uh, New oh, Year's Eve with the. Uh... I'll, I'll tell uh, I'll tell Kristen to cancel our reservation. We got to. <laughs> uh, I actually think that this will be one of the few times I'm going to be watching a game on delay. I I do all the instant observations, but yeah, I, we got dinner plans as well. I won't be doing the whole like pack into a crowded bar at midnight no. on New Year's Eve. I'm over those days, but uh I'm very much over those days. It I will say the Eagles playing on Sunday is always a great excuse to not do one of those things. It's like, oh, I have to work the next day. But even if I didn't, I mean you're spending two hundred dollars easy probably to get in to one of these things. You're packed. Yeah, we're just getting dinner and relaxing. But yeah, no better way to ring in the new year than with uh with my boy SGA. Your boy so, Shay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so all right, this has been another fun episode of Clap Your Hands. Uh, if you're still listening, as always, we very, very much appreciate it. Um, download the Odyssey app. You get all the episodes first. And leave a five-star review. Uh, you know, we got some questions for Kyle. I want to have a mailbag episode soon. We can ask, you know, pick Kyle's brain on a bunch of things. And one way to do that is to leave a five-star review with your question. So leave, uh, leave the review. We'll be back soon. And uh, Kyle, another fun episode. See you guys.